Download episodes of previous shows. Welcome to the podcast. Join the Geek Therapy Discord server, which is without a doubt the most active community space we have right now. Get your invitation at geektherapy.com slash discord. Welcome to Headshots, the psychology and gaming show on the Geek Therapy Network. My name is Osai Cardona, joined by Lauren Keller. What up? Lauren, what are we talking about today? Video games. Psychology. Ow! That's what we're here for. That wasn't helpful, though. Okay, no. I guess I'll, I guess I'll pitch what we're what we're talking about today. Do it. <laughs> um, usually, we we come up with uh, ideas for the show from articles that we read. Usually, in like gaming, technology, magazines, websites, things like that. And so, there was an article on Kotaku that said, "I'd have these extremely graphic dreams. What it's like to work on ultraviolent games like Mortal Kombat 11." There, there are other uh, articles uh, that talk about this sort of thing, but I think it's it's fascinating. Uh, the article, the the person is uh, anonymously sharing their story about how not only like you know extremely graphic dreams, they eventually went to a therapist and they were diagnosed with PTSD, all because of the exposure to, and not only the exposure, like it's a it's a developer who is animating and working on these things. I believe in this article in particular, it was the fatality animations themselves, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah. Like, like not only seeing that over and over again, but building it, right? Like making that real. And mm-hmm. I like the way the article starts off with, yeah, those fatalities are seconds long in matches that are minutes long. And that's pretty much our general exposure at a time as the player. But it's very different for the people making the games. It is. There's a big distinction in, you know, when you're when you're playing Mortal Kombat, it's like, of course, it's it is a violent video game. There's violence in it. Um, But, you know, you're also spending a lot of time just, you know, waiting for the level to load and picking your character and looking at your cool poses when you win and everything. And it's not you just watching the the fatality, you know, two and a half second fatality animation over and over and over and over frame by frame. And that's just the animation part. When you get into like the actual art, like when you, when you're doing the animation, at least it's abstracted in such a way that it's not necessarily obviously violent. Um, Like one of, one of the other articles uh, from Gama Sutra a couple of years back also talked about, um, Mortal Kombat specifically, and uh, was talking about how it's like they have like an evisceration move where you like rip out guts of a person. And for the um, the the animator, like they didn't have like guts animations, so they used basically what looked like a bunch of bones that were connected to each other. 
So in that part, it's like you have this sort of gray body shape that doesn't really have any distinguishing features. It's either sort of feminized or sort of masculinized. And then uh, a chain of bones coming out of the, the abdomen area is like, okay, that's weird, but maybe not like viscerally upsetting. But then you have have the artist who has to hand draw like intestines on top of those bone snakes and has to draw like, you know, a rib bone poking out of someone's flesh and like spurts of blood coming out and stuff like that. And that's like that gets uh, a lot, a lot, a lot harder to abstract away from like, wow, this is hmm, mega violence. Now, I've never seen someone get their spine ripped out through their chest, but uh, not in real life. But in the game, it looks pretty gory. <laughs> and part of the problem isn't just animating and creating that. It's the reference material. Mm -hmm. So someone is looking at what that might look like. And in some cases, I'm imagining they're actually looking at whatever is closest to that actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. So in that Gama Sutra article, there's a perfect example. They were talking to um, somebody who worked on uh, doing level design for Halo 3. Well, doing lots of design for Halo 3, but specifically those levels where you're in uh, like in the hive area and you're in these like gross, squishy tunnels with these weird like butthole doors and everything was like the joke I made the first time I played through that game. Turns out the guy who designed that level based the level off of colonoscopy videos. So they <laughs> are butthole doors, 100%. Yeah. And he was yeah. talking about how he is like, you know, his coworkers would make jokes about like, oh, don't go to his desk because you'll, you know, you'll catch sight of something nasty. And he was looking at, you know, terrible funguses and, and awful like, you know, resistant treatment infections to try and get like the grossest kind of textures that read real enough that it fits within the game world but is still like the fantastical game space and so the yeah. answer there is like what if it was a giant colon filled with nightmare mushrooms <laughs> it's like oh god it sucks it's so scary yeah 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 i mean yeah, like like the flood's disgusting and annoying, right? And in, in, mm -hmm. in earlier games, but the idea, like he he says that people would walk by his desk and scream, you know, at the sight of some of the stuff that that was there. So, yeah, uh, I think he said eight months he was looking at stuff like that on his computer so he could make something that looked like that. So mm -hmm. if if you go back to Mortal Kombat or or any other type of I mean, Mortal Kombat is a great example because I can't think of a more of a gorier, uh, more exaggerated video game. Maybe, maybe Doom, but those are still monsters. Yeah, right? and I they kind of just explode. They don't like you don't rip people's hearts out of their chests. Yeah. You don't crack their skull with a hard enough punch. <laughs> there's definitely, um, I would say, like in uh, the Tomb Raider reboot games, uh, seeing Lara's death animations over and over again. And like, I didn't work on that game. I just played it, but I did die a lot. And so I saw some like fucked up animations there that somebody spent, you know, weeks months a good portion of a year you know working on and you know finding reference materials and designing it and making it work in the game and polishing it and then testing it and all of these people are interacting with that 
that one, you know, particularly violent image over and over and over again. It's like, it's not necessarily that it's, it's inherently bad. It's just, it's so concentrated. I can't really see any way that that wouldn't end up having negative impacts on people. It's just, you, you hit like a concentration point where it's like, it's too much. So, man, that's, yeah, Tomb, Tomb Raider is a great example because I remember feeling very uncomfortable. Oh yeah, those, I got I got in the in the twenty thirteen or the original twenty eight. Yeah. Oh god, when did that two thousand nine? Fuck, I don't remember what. But yeah, the original the first one, <laughs> the first reboot. There's a part where you are like parachuting down a like a waterfall canyon, and there are a bunch of tall trees to the either sides, and you have to like dodge them as you go down this pathway. And it's supposed to be, I assume, a pretty basic part of the game where you just, you know, you go left, right, and then center, and then left, and then the section is done. Well, it's visually hard to read the hitboxes of the trees, so I watched Lara get impaled like through the face by a tree branch, like Mm, I want to say like 20 times before I finally got past that part, which is embarrassing on its own right. But also, it made me feel really gross and yucky. And basically, once we got to the next part where it auto-saved, I'm like, I'm done for the night. Like, I need, let's watch some Steven Universe. Uh, uh, that was that was too much face impalement. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience. One, I died a lot. Two, I also blamed the game. <laughs> Three, very uncomfortable to watch. Remember, they, I think, I think they turn black and white, right? When, mm-hmm. for those death scenes, that's probably just so it looks less gory. Yeah. Like, I saw her neck snap. I saw her get impaled in different ways. I saw so many different deaths. And, you know, I go to Mortal Kombat for that, but I don't like that in my Tomb Raider. It doesn't make the experience any better. It doesn't motivate me to not die or play better. <laughs> and and I had a similar experience. Where I was like, oh, I can't see this anymore. I recently watched The Boys on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And that show, in the first like five minutes, of it, this is kind of a spoiler, but it happens in the first five minutes. And it's in the trailers. There's this superhero that's like, a, like the Flash, super fast. And he runs through a person. And this person Ooh. explodes. It is so disgusting. But also so, like when I saw that, so five minutes into this show, I stopped it and I had to take a break because it affected me that much. And one thing that, that I, I want to make clear about about this this idea that something could possibly traumatize you, it doesn't have to be eight months of prolonged exposure. Many times when someone is diagnosed with PTSD, it was one event. It was one moment. Sometimes it was a very fast moment. Like I uh, was diagnosed with PTSD after a car accident and that car accident was, I don't know, what was it? Like two seconds. Yeah. And then for almost 10 years, I had nightmares um, and I still can't, like I still have triple driving. Like I have to spend a lot of time practicing and warming up again, you know, exposing myself to driving to be able to get to a point where I can comfortably drive. But if I stop for a while, I go back and it's really, really hard. I get nervous in cars. Again, it was a two second experience when I was 18. So these, this type of thing, like it makes sense to me. Not, not even the fact that like I can't imagine, I don't know, it gets more complicated when you talk about being exposed over a long period of time. When you talk about a surprise, like 
it's not surprising to see uh, someone chopped in half in Mortal Kombat, but it is surprising in Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an expectation there. I don't know. There, there's so much to this, and it's just really, really interesting. And we have enough articles where we see completely different experiences kind of in the same development environment. Yeah, I um, I found a report the eyewitness media hub report making secondary trauma a primary issue a study of eyewitness media and vicarious trauma on the digital front line Hmm. Um, this is a 69 page report nice Um, so i did not read the whole thing but i did read through the executive summary and i read through their um, methodology and basically what they were looking at is um Eyewitness media is user-generated content. So that is uh, people, you know, taking videos on their phone and tweeting it. And then you see, uh, like, reporters responding to that tweet with permission to use the video. Um, Those are the people that they're looking at mostly. And so they were looking at um, specifically in journalism spaces and in humanitarian and human rights spaces. So people who are generally dealing with, like, a lot of negative images and videos. And they interviewed them to sort of see, one, like, how much of this work are they regularly doing? Um, Is it, you know, frequently uh, distressing and traumatic? Or is it just sort of like, that's the job? Um, And, you know, also asking a bunch of questions about what their employers were doing in response to that issue. And so they were looking at things like giving people breaks from looking at this kind of stuff or or, um, having like having people like only working on that job for a couple of weeks at a time before they get cycled into a different, you know, part of the, the workflow. And that sort of thing. And basically, they found that a a large portion of these people were spending a significant amount of time looking at awful materials and were all exhibiting, like, negative outcomes from that. They were, you know, um, because a lot of the times that that stuff that they're reviewing is um, private, so they can't talk to their friends or families about it, so they don't have the, the typical support system they would have. A lot of them were doing that kind of work for like over six hours a day. So it's like full shifts, just the whole shift is staring at nightmare stuff. And a, oh gosh, at least a third of the people they interviewed said that like they weren't really getting support at work. And there was actually a pretty cool distinction in, in there is that... um the humanitarian and human rights activists tended to see that as like part of the job. And if you want to be here, you have to like nut up or shut up sort of situation. But the journalists had more of like the leadership and, and um, manager roles tended to be more like, no, this is a legitimate problem and we need to, you know, at least address it, if not actively try and uh, train for it and have systems in place to treat it when it inevitably happens. Um, so it's sort of interesting to see that, but, I, you know, that's not directly related to video games, but it sort of makes me think in video games, there is definitely that that same culture of like, you know, violence is part of the game. Like, you know, if you don't like it, there's the door, get out. And I'm like, there's, 
there there is a, a saturation point like we were talking about earlier it's just at a certain point you can't turn off your brain and your brain is so filled with with horrifying things that you can't unload anywhere that it just saturates your whole life and people become very isolated and they become depressed and or anxious they they have PTSD symptoms and, and it's like all of these things are happening so how do game studios how do you know journalists and and humanitarian and human rights workers and uh, people who moderate videos on YouTube or on Facebook or any other place where you're interacting with potentially a lot of really violent, horrifying stuff, how do those employers build systems in which they protect their workers from trauma, whether that's, you know, limiting the amount of time any one person spends on any particularly violent thing, or if that's making sure that everybody has to go to like counseling or therapy as part of doing that job, which I'm like, why don't you do that? <laughs> so, so like to, to clarify, we're talking about people who, who have this as their job, like their livelihood depends on seeing these things or making these things like yeah we gave examples yeah. of, of playing video games like you, you can stop right <laughs> there's nobody's forcing you to to play a game that that has these type of things or watch a movie etc anything like that mm -hmm. but as as the creator again i think that there are tons of parallels between anyone who is exposed to this type of thing as part of their work mm-hmm any kind of trauma, right? Secondary trauma, vicarious trauma. I mean, you know, in mental health, therapists, like psychologists, they, they go through this too. Like it's a lot of stuff that you're getting from, from other people. Mm -hmm. And, but when we're talking about something like, and I, I do want to talk about the, like that eyewitness example, Facebook moderators, YouTube moderators, like last year, YouTube implemented a new policy where it was like maximum four hours a day. That you can mm -hmm. see fucked up shit. That sounds horrible. Yeah. No. Four uh, hours a day doing that and then four more hours of just lying in the puppy room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason why those jobs exist is to then protect more people from being exposed to that. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's complicated, but at least... Like, yeah, there are ways to do it. Like, look at what mental health professionals uh, do. They're exposed to this kind of stuff all the time. People who work in hospitals, um, uh, first responders, things like that, see what what they go through to help them deal with this stuff. And it's like, also, you're not, like, first responding to four hours of brand new material every two minutes, right? I mean, it's still... But, but I think that there are lessons that we can learn from different places and i understand a company like youtube saying we're not going to expose everybody children you know other people to these horrible things that people are uploading we can't control with an algorithm that these things are blocked and actually they are to an extent they do have things in place but they still need humans to like double check and make sure that nothing gets through and, and mm -hmm. things will still get through but there is, you know, there is a reason why they're doing it, whether it's for their bottom line or just to, to actually protect people. There's a reason why they're doing this. 
when we're talking about video games, like what is what is the like we're talking about entertainment, <laughs> right? Yep. There is no reason why if you or if I do not want to or if I feel uncomfortable, even just uncomfortable, like let's start with discomfort as a, as a negative outcome. You said negative outcomes before. Negative outcomes can range anywhere from again discomfort to. When we talk about PTSD, symptoms of that include intrusive thoughts. So maybe I, in the middle of a conversation or a movie or, you know, just drinking my coffee, I suddenly get an image or I remember something violent or disgusting that I saw from before when I don't want that, right? It just, it just happens, just appears to me. Uh, it can happen that it's in your dreams, right? You're... You can develop, like you said, um, isolating behaviors, depression. There's so many negative outcomes, and and those are some of the ones we're we're talking about. But if we go at the like the least possible, just being discomfort, like ew, I don't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason why I'm tolerating that is one because I gotta pay the bills, and two so that people will enjoy their fatalities. It's it's like it's hard to it's it's so hard for me to to play any like play devil's advocate in any sort of yeah. way to justify forcing and now I'm not saying that any developer is forcing their employees to do this right I'm not saying and I'm not saying that employees no but it's probably not opt-in yeah and I'm not saying that it, they can just get up and go and I'm, I'm sure that there are, there are you know developers designers artists who you know are very resilient to that kind of imagery and it and even if they were working on it not only resilient but like enjoy it well i'd be i didn't want to go that direction but sure that there can also be that aspect to it so it's not going to impact everybody equally which is why i think you need to have systems in place to like check in with your workers um but yeah like like you said it's like there is it's for entertainment so it's not we're not you know talking about current events that are actually happening we're talking about two video game skeletons touching each other's bones and stuff like that and so it's like okay well where where is the acceptable line i don't know that there's an answer for that like if you are a youtube moderator and in your workload in your queue suddenly a beheading comes up Mm -hmm. And you watch that and just so you can flag it as a no and then like block that account. Like, you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing people a service mm-hmm. at a cost to you, obviously, but you're doing people a service. If you are watching beheading videos to animate beheadings in Mortal Kombat or, <laughs> or other games, that's, oh, that's so, that's rough. That's really rough. Yeah. Again, th- if you don't like... I feel I feel so bad for anyone who is who is in that position and doesn't want to be and or even wants to be and then suddenly it's it becomes too much. I think a part of it is as video games have become better graphically there's been this sort of push towards like realism as being the coolest and in some ways that it is really cool it is really cool to have you know almost photographic realistic cutscenes in your video games and having actual like cool believable animations in game and stuff like that as as games have gotten more and more realistic just sort of chasing that ideal of realism is better in gaming 
uh, there maybe wasn't a ton of consideration placed on the genre of games that we should be putting realism into. So it's like, there's one thing I'm thinking about, like a hyper-realistic farming game. It's like, okay, I'm intrigued. But a hyper-realistic, like, murder game is like, okay, well, why? Why do we need it to be hyper-realistic? And, you know, there are legitimate reasons to want to go that way. The same that there are legitimate reasons for making violent, disgusting choices in, in you know, horror film and, and TV shows and stuff like that. But it needs to be considered. You can't just be like, that sounds cool. I'm throwing it in. You really need to think about, like, is it beneficial to our players and to our developers if this dog getting sliced open reads as 100% realistic to an actual dog getting sliced open. It's like, maybe it doesn't. Maybe we don't need to go 100% realistic on that. Maybe you don't need to make your designers stare at dog slicing videos for half a day before they can start animating. Maybe we skip that part. I don't think that Mortal Kombat is necessarily photorealistic. It is cartoonish in its oh. violence. Yeah, and I, that's sort of why I feel like it's it's more okay. But but the developers are referencing real materials to make their their sort of cartoony animated stuff, yeah. and so like yeah. they're actually watching you know people's limbs getting torn off and things like that. Is like okay, did you need to actually like reference realistic stuff to make it feel good, or did you just like the idea of like oh violent? It's so realistic, and people are gonna love seeing this sinew stretch and tear oh yeah metal (laughs) i say this like enjoying violent video games and horror games which all use a lot of really horrifying source material for sure um but i do i i think i guess maybe what i'm really getting down to here is being thoughtful of the whole process not just how are the players going to respond to this cool nasty scene but also considering like, okay, how long is this going to take our designers to make this team and how fucked up is it going to be to work on this nasty thing for that long? <laughs> Just in general, thinking about your employees more often and oh, yeah, for giving reals. them access to breaks and <laughs> actually supervising to make sure, like, that's, a, that's an excellent point, right? You don't have to, what did you say, like, look at a, like, uh, realistic slicing open of a dog or something like that. Like, like I'm sure that video exists. It does. I agree. You don't have to <laughs> go get to that level. Like, is someone is is your boss requiring that level of, of realism for your game? Or not necessarily like boss asked for it, but it's like if you're having, you know, team meetings and everybody's like, okay, we're going to start working on, you know, this this set of stuff. And, you know, we want to reference like this look and this outfit and like here's um, some animation, some some video clips we can use for animation references. And then like, okay, everybody go find some more references. And there's like an implication of like finding, you know, find more beheading videos (laughs) instead of like straight up go find beheading videos. It's like, you know, it'd be cool if we had three or four beheading videos to reference. I don't know if this is the best angle. Yeah. Oh God, sorry. I grossed myself out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to, I'm going to add one more thing before we, we take a break, which is that the other day I saw a video of uh, on YouTube called uh, the channel is Corridor Crew and they do 
visual effects f- for movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they they went ahead and they took scenes from Captain America Civil War and they made them R-rated. Mm-hmm. Basically, they were saying, like, if these people had this kind of power, these bad guys wouldn't just fall over. They wouldn't just land on the wall. So they yeah. wanted to make it more realistic. And to me, I think it's a hilarious video. Like, Captain America kicks somebody so hard that they, like, splat on the wall, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, not completely, but, like, like, there's some blood there, you know? And, like, he hit somebody in the shield with the neck, at the, at the neck. So, like, that head's coming off. He's slicing people in half. You know, like, Scarlet Witch is literally, like, compressing a person's body and just, like, breaking it down. It is, it's, like, it's, it's the R-rated version <laughs> of something. But also, Marvel movies are the biggest money makers in the world. Mm-hmm. Endgame is the highest grossing film of all time, and it's not R-rated, and it doesn't have all of that. So just an- another thing that came to mind was, you don't, yeah, I mean, your artistic intention, like, you know, do what you want. But also, like, you don't need that necessarily. <laughs> you don't need that at all. Yeah. It's like um, we've had another conversation where we were talking about being very intentional about the choices, the kinds of stuff that you put into your game. And I think violent and gory and, and sexually violent stuff is something that perhaps deserves to be considered two or three times before you make a decision on it. Just because... You know, like we like we started with is like maybe your players are only going to see it, you know, for a minute or 30 seconds, or maybe some of them will never see it because it's in the end game and most players won't ever get to the end game. No. But somebody is having to look at that and process that over and over and over again. And, and you know, that's the, the animators, the art designers, the QA testers, all of that. And so it's like, don't just think about the player's experience, though you should prioritize your player experience, but also, you know, consider your workers' experiences. And, you know, we 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 want to make these workplaces better so that people actually, like, can make games instead of burning out after five years and then having to spend the next 15 years treating their vicarious PTSD. <laughs> so, yeah, being yes. more considerate. Yeah, so... Yeah. Again, it does sex sell? If it bleeds, it leads. Is that still true? Is that true in every instance? Is it worth the investment? I don't know. Well, it's it's like it's it's not even necessarily that it it sells. It catches attention, but you need to be careful in your choices about what kind of attention you want. Just catching people's eyes isn't enough. Because people will look at things that they're horrified by and then turn away <laughs> and then never think about it again. Um, but, but again, yeah. the, the idea of it bleeds, it leads, and, and sex sells is the idea yeah. that, that doing that has a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And But does it really? You know, like, are you sure? Are you just doing that because people tell you that? Or is yeah. it is it true? How much of it is just tradition of, you know, the past 30 years of video game sales have been like, oh, yeah, action movies, rippling biceps, people, terrorists getting chopped in half, explosions that you don't look at and you walk away from with your sunglasses on. Did the yeah. Genesis version of Mortal Kombat actually sell more than the Nintendo version <laughs> because the blood was red and not green? I don't know. I don't know the numbers. So what, I, what I'd like to do after the break, and you tell me uh, how you feel about this, but is speak directly to, 
developers with kind of the ideas that we have and things to, to take into consideration. Like we kind of like tiptoed around that stuff, but like being explicit in giving some sort of. Yeah. And, and that's a, a good point you made about changing the color of the blood is I, I know it was, you know, a handful of games that have various game options that allow you to make things more or less violent. Um, I know Silent Hill games have, um, I'm not sure which ones, but some of them have options for turning on and off blood, so it just doesn't show up. You don't um, leave bloody footprints when you walk through the corpses of your slain enemies. Um, Or you can change the color of the blood to make it like green or purple to be sillier, so it's not as obviously violent. Um, I know of a couple of other games that, that are willing to sort of like step back on the violence aspect but while that is great for the player you still have a design team that's designing both the less horrifying and the ultra horrifying versions so mm, mm, something to think on (laughs) all right so let's let's speak specifically and directly to developers when we come back after the break The Geek Therapy Discord is incredible. We've got channels for all types of games and fandoms, plus channels for music, cooking, cute things, and emotional support. We even have an accomplishments channel where we share wins, big or small. It's a very supportive place. It's incredible. I love it. I think you will too. Even if online communities aren't your thing, or if you're just a lurker, check out the Geek Therapy Discord. You won't regret it. Join us by visiting geektherapy.com slash discord. All right, so let's talk directly to people making games i have a few ideas things that i i think should be considered we mentioned some before but i think they're definitely worth repeating i feel like in in a few different shows on the geek therapy network lately we've been talking about employment and treating your employees uh not just with with respect but with dignity and this is a a huge part of it right like at the at the as part of that creative process as part of that product that you're making, what are you asking of your employees? Absolutely. So right off the bat, what are, what are some of the things uh, on your mind that you, you want to tell people? Don't ask your developers to go on live leaks to find beheading videos. <laughs> so the, yeah. So really easy. So, number one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, like, like we said before, we don't know if, anyone is actually asking their employees to to go uh, look at something like this. But just because you're not doesn't mean that your employees aren't. <laughs> so first of all, like, right, like, don't, it's hard to say, like, I, I'm trying to think of why you would even ask someone to do that <laughs> at all. <laughs> like, there's enough anime out there, right, that you could probably reference and looks cool enough. It doesn't have to be photorealistic. But yeah, but that stuff, there's a, there's a cost that can come with that. And Maybe it's not that drastic, right? Maybe it's something like a uh, breaking bone, for example, mm-hmm. right? Which is still something that, like, I I can't I can't I can't see it. Like, not even like in a comedy when somebody like breaks their bone and sticks out and something like like ew. I can't I can't watch I, I can't look at it. I don't want to <laughs> look at it. Uh, even something like that, or or any any kind of violence, uh, really. I th- I'm gonna say if your team has to look at it. Like don't don't have somebody carry that alone, right? And I mean that in, in a few different ways. Like make sure that you're aware of what people are, are looking at and and consuming. But maybe like while you're, you know, consuming that, I I hate to say like 
Instead of showing one person, show two people, <laughs> or show a room full. But I think that carrying that load, right, like together, being able to address some of these things with someone else, so you're not carrying it alone, is like least possible thing that could be helpful <laughs> if you have to do it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think incorporating more more teamwork into it helps. Reduce the the chances of people like really isolating themselves about it because at least they have somebody. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> you get it. Um, but I also think, I, I mean, I know, you know, some some game developer teams are pretty small, so it wouldn't really be feasible to have have teams in that way. But having something instead where it's like, if you know your team is working on something particularly violent during the week, having something, you know, at the end of the day or at the end of the week where it's, you know, everybody gets together and maybe you have some sort of debrief where people can talk about like, I was doing okay until I watched that one video and then like it really messed me up and I, I had to take a, a break and, and sort of talk, you know, talk through those feelings with each other ideally with some sort of facilitator who knows how to deal with that kind of conversation but that that could be something that is just you know the the team does it together as a way to sort of process together what they're working on in such a way that like you said they don't have to deal with it alone yeah again i don't feel great about that suggestion i'm just saying if you're gonna do it anyway at least have some support in place that the very least Right. Uh, that kind of support. And obviously, in terms of support, you know, make it OK for people to take a break. Make it OK for people to say, I've had enough Absolutely. and not fear that they're going to lose their job or be reprimanded in some way because what you're asking of them is emotionally and psychologically harmful. Right. Like there's workers comp for for physical injuries. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't talk about workers comp for emotional and psychological in, uh, injuries. <laughs> nope. We, we should. should, though. Yeah. Let's start that conversation because, yeah. you know, you're, you're putting people in harm's way. Mm -hmm. But and then, you know, the, the next step would be, you know, does everybody have health insurance? Like, mm -hmm. are you are you putting contractors in this position? Contractors who are possibly working part-time and do not have access to health insurance so that put that work, put that harmful work on the people who are full-time and have access to health insurance so they can deal with that if they, and get help with that if they need it. Absolutely. Or just, you know, hire a therapist. <laughs> Why isn't there a therapist role in game development companies? I feel like games would benefit from that. So, so, we're making jobs over here. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's interesting. There, there are multiple reasons, but you could contract uh, like an EAP company, which is um, employee assistance program, so they could always have someone on staff. You can you can make deals with um, different health insurance companies or mental health providers, so that they can provide services to to your employees. That's something that you could negotiate. You know separately from health insurance or, or another. And even if it's just during the time that you're doing something that is dangerous. Because, mm -hmm. again, what we're talking about is this is potentially dangerous. It's not going to affect everybody the same. 
it's not going to, um, again, like we looked at enough articles where some people found their own ways to deal with it, but some people it was, it was too much for them. And it, it's not something that you can, you can't predict that beforehand. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do it, like there are ways to be prepared. Yeah, I mean, part part of that preparation, I would hope uh, if you are intending, like, from the get-go, you're like, I'm going to make a video game that involves murdering, there's going to be violence in it, like, that that will be happening, and, and making sure that anybody that you are hiring onto your team is 100% aware of that and is making an informed, conscious choice to participate in that, and still, as we said before, has the option to be like, too much. I need to step out uh, or step back without being retaliated against. I get it. Your game started as a match the three puzzler with gummy bears, and it ended up being a horror zombie samurai gun toting explosion simulator or something. I get it. That happens. That's a real zag. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens. You pivoted. Everybody's there now. <laughs> Let everybody know. Yeah. <laughs> The more informed people are, the more informed your employees are. Again, like that happens, right? Usually not that big of a pivot, but it happens. You're on one project, you're working on, uh, what is it? Like Naughty Dog makes Crash Bandicoot and then they make The Last of Us. They didn't make them in that order, but it's the same company. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big difference. The Last of Us, I can't, I can't play The Last of Us. Like I, I, can't, I couldn't finish the first one because of this type of thing. Like I felt so uncomfortable with the tension and the violence in that game, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. That yeah. is super photorealistic. I don't know what the developers at Naughty Dog are going through. I would, I would love to, to talk to, and maybe we will talk to uh, different companies and see how they deal with this and how they, they take care of their employees. Yeah, and there's, there's two sides of that that we're touching on. There's the, you know, preparation prevention side where you are trying to diminish potential harm before you even start the thing. And then there's, you know, reactive actions to when people come to you saying like, uh, I'm having consistent reoccurrent nightmares about that, you know, that animation that we're working on right now um, of the, you know, the little girl getting chopped in half. And it's really fucking me up. It's like, okay, well, what what are the steps that you're going to take to deal with that? Like, those kinds of things shouldn't be like, it happens and then you figure out how to deal with it. That you should have plans in, in place beforehand. If you know you're getting involved in, in violent, grotesque, gory stuff, it's like you know there is a potential for harm there. So you should be planning. You should be planning how to reduce that, how to help people when they are harmed. And don't necessarily come up with that plan on your own. Get some outside help or consulting. Call us. Mm -hmm. We'll help you. Right? There are there are informed ways of this. Again, there are different industries that deal with this in different ways. And, and having a plan in place for your employees is so good for, for your employees and for your company. If you have your workers working in an office as opposed to working at home, try and limit the amount of like at-home work that your employees do on the, that kind of violent stuff because I think having a, a physical space that is separate 
because I'm imagining like looking at these kinds of videos while you're, you know, drinking your coffee at home before you go into the office or whatever. It's like, that's awful. So having some sort of like actual spaces like this is the scary room where you do the scary research and the scary work and then you leave the scary room and you're fine it's great again that's not feasible for every development company but if you have the means to do so that i feel would be a really useful thing uh to protect your employees is making sure that not only are you verbally encouraging a a good work-life balance but also like literally enforcing it like you cannot work on this violent animation at home don't do it (laughs) watch cartoons (laughs) (laughs) mandated cartoon watching mandated cartoon watch you know maybe that's the answer is just make it so uh, you know every every person who works whether they're a contractor or full-time employee um they have a mandated half hour cartoon at the end of their day it's like you have to watch cartoons at the end of the day to chill out (laughs) before you get to go home (laughs) something like disney sumsums you know like something really cute yeah (laughs) I, i keep thinking of I love this idea of planning and having and being prepared mm-hmm. because you can't really predict what's going to happen. You can't interview someone and say, hey, we're going to, you know, your, your, one of your main tasks is going to be dismemberment or blood <laughs> splatter, right? And the person says like, yeah, like, yeah, no problem. 100%. It's like, okay. You know, and you give them a stamp of uh, of approval because you know they they said that they love that stuff and and they have no problem with that. Like, mm-hmm. first of all, you there's no reason to know that that's going to be that that it's going to be fine, uh, even in the short term, let alone the long term. Mm-hmm. Also, the employee themselves are, just, are they're not going to know. Like, they they may not know what they. Yeah. What they don't know what the future holds. They don't know what their threshold is, and they don't know what that one thing, that one day where they were a particular way, is going yeah. to affect them. So exactly. So having the things in place to to help them, if and when it happens, if you insist on on, on having this uh, in your game, have as much there uh, to support, and don't rely or don't expect that you can possibly avoid it through like some sort of um, vetting process. Yeah. And I think that also has the side benefit of communicating to your employees that you legitimately care about their well-being and you treat them with respect as autonomous humans with feelings who get affected by the things that they consume. Uh, I mean, I don't I know, know, Lauren, that could lead <laughs> to then more honesty and communication between your employees and your employer. <laughs> That could be extremely good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking about, you know, as an employee, I would, even if I don't think, like, I have a strong stomach, I'm, I watch a lot of gory, violent stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty desensitized to a lot of that stuff. I grew up on, like, Rotten.com when I first started going the, on the internet, so it's like, uh, that stuff does not really shock me so much anymore. But if I was applying for a job and they... The, the person hiring or attempting to hire me wasn't like, hey, you know, we have these systems in place to to deal with, you know, like we we want to make sure that you're cared for. So we have systems in place if you ever 
need help or need resources or anything like that is like that would be a big bonus point in my job searching and finding a good employer is like, oh, wow, you you actually care. Even if it's just lip service, at least you took the time to tell me now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that makes a big difference. <laughs> Again, I think I just I just want to reiterate that the stuff that we're talking about is serious. It is potentially dangerous. Um, you don't know how it's going to affect people. Speaking as a mental health professional, someone who worked as a therapist for years, and like it is hard to take on and be just be exposed to so much trauma and just bad stuff, right? Whatever that may be, mm-hmm. and in whatever form that may be, it is it is hard, and you don't know what is going to affect people. Again, I went into that thinking, I'm going to help people. That was my motivation. That was my purpose. And still, it was very, very hard, and it required a lot of support. And again, those jobs have that built in. Mm-hmm. And and so do many other helping professions. I'm concerned, and I hope that these articles that we found continue to, have, to to lead that conversation. When someone reads, oh, YouTube limited exposure to fucked up shit to four hours a day, we can all say, like, how is that good? <laughs> like, how is that? Well, what was it before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, no, no. That's way better than eight hours. I, I guess. But it's still. What are, <laughs> it's still four hours. <laughs> it's still four hours a day for five days a week. That's it. it it's a lot. And it's. It's hard to explain, and and honestly, I I cannot relate to that because that is like concentrated version of what I've been exposed to, mm-hmm. and I I can't imagine that intensity. I can't imagine eight months of our colonoscopy videos violent, right? From that Halo Three example, it, no, they're not. No, but it's still, but they are gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is a visceral reaction to seeing insides that people are just naturally very like. Ugh. Yeah, I, <laughs> again, I think many people are, and mm-hmm. and and there is a threshold. There is only so much that that people can handle. So it's it's good to to keep that in mind and have that conversation going. Maybe maybe my final suggestion is talk to your employees about this. Talk to them about it. Often, this and, and, and other things, you know, but this is something to be concerned about. This is something that you may not have a policy for, but at the very least, just talking about it, asking if anybody needs support, asking if anybody feels uncomfortable can go a really, really long way. Yep. I'm just like daydreaming about if like all jobs came with like support onboard support is like it doesn't matter what job you're doing you know that there is somebody that you can go to to be like i'm having a i'm having a real one and they're like come on in and let's talk about this yeah oh, i mean what a wonderful world we could be in goals <laughs> hashtag goals <laughs> we can we can we can help make that happen little by little i think i think it's yeah it's important that we're talking about these things more and more often. Yeah, I think my my last point is that talking about this in general is beneficial to everybody because it makes it easier to talk about to other people. So if you have ever 
seen something on the internet, whether or not it was during work, having a conversation with somebody else and being like, yeah, you know, I saw that thing and it really fucked me up for a while, helps normalize those feelings. It makes it easier for everybody to talk about that. It makes it easier to make systems in place that are prepared for those kinds of situations. And we can learn from each other about how to deal with it. And Hell yeah. All right. So that does it for this episode of Headshots. Thank you so much for, for listening. You can... Join our Discord server to talk to the community about everything. We got, we got channels for everything. It's fantastic. Also, we stream every week on twitch.tv slash geektherapy. So swing by and say hi. Ask us about anything that we talk about on the show or anything psychology and or gaming related. We'd love to talk to you. For more episodes of Headshots, visit headshotspodcast.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks. episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Cool. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week on Planet Internet. I'm joined by one of our superstar devs, Jefferson. Hey, Jefferson. Hey. And also with our regular podcast host, Amy. Hello. What up? Afternoon podcast. Today, if maybe our backgrounds gave it away, we're going to be talking about metaverses, a little bit about gaming metaverses, but metaverses in general. And, uh, Part of the reason why is because on Hacker Noon right now, we have a gaming metaverse writing contest going on in partnership with The Sandbox. So basically, anybody can log on to Hacker Noon in the next three months and publish an article about metaverses, NFTs, game development, and you can be entered to win up to $2,000. So please definitely do that. And speaking of our partnership with The Sandbox, the first article today is about the sandbox metaverse and i chose this one because it was like it's pretty well summarizes how people can make money specifically on the sandbox metaverse but in the future i think all metaverses that monetize are going to follow this same structure anyways so it explains in general how the metaverse can be monetized much like how the internet was monetized so this one is called why owning land on the sandbox could make you rich written by raven hart and uh, it basically just talks about how the sandbox works how their virtual land sales work what you can do with the virtual land and how you can make money with that virtual land and uh, yeah it's quite interesting and if you're up to date on how metaverses work and if you're up to date with the sandbox it's not a surprise but I think it might have been a surprise to you, Amy. You're not that familiar with the sandbox. What did you think when you read this article? Yes. So I've only just started learning about the sandbox and metaverses in terms of real estate that you can purchase, which is like what the sandbox is based off of. And I thought this article is super interesting because something that I didn't realize is that the sandbox, when you purchase 
said piece of virtual land, in the future you will be able to rent that out to different people, like real property. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I think the premise is interesting in the sense that if you buy these properties, you're essentially saying that you're going to make some kind of showcase in there or like something probably to sell people something, right? Like it's going to be some kind of like company website or something probably. So I think that a lot of people or a lot of companies will probably rent out these spaces to do, you know, art galleries in there or games or some kind of interactive experience and could pay a pretty penny for them. So really interesting. Yeah, like uh, to summarize, the few of the ways that the writer talked about making money on the sandbox is, uh, as Amy said, renting out land to other people to use. You could host giveaways and contests on your land. And uh, one of the big ones is selling ad space, much like how the internet found monetization in the form of ads and how Facebook and social media found monetization in the form of ads. The metaverse will follow suit. So that's one of the biggest ones. And aside from that, People can sell the land if you wanted to, much like real estate. So if you were to purchase land on the sandbox or any metaverse, and if that metaverse becomes really popular, like how Fortnite or Roblox became really popular, then the more people that are going into that metaverse, the more that land is worth. And you can sell it for future profits, hopefully. What about uh, you, Jefferson? Sorry? Jefferson, do you think that people are buying this or do you think companies are buying? I think both. Companies like for promoting them th- themselves or yeah, creating some 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 experiences so they can return those people to their websites or to their products, but also people to create experiences, share, trade stuff. So I believe that this is on a, an early stage, but I see like a big future on it, and it's an interesting topic. Yeah, as a developer, what interests you about the technology? How, what what differentiates like developing for the metaverse versus developing for the regular internet? The actually the metaverse allows people to have freedom to create and to share. It's like a, a, a digital universe where people can do basically anything. So it opened up the scope of the development. You, you create a system where. Mm-hmm. Everyone can contribute. It's not just up to you to put things there. So yeah, it's crazy and cool at the same time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think for people who don't aren't like familiar with blockchain metaverses or NFTs, using the sandbox as like an intro to metaverse is maybe not the best. So next, I'd like to ask both of you, what was your intro to metaverse culture? Like we don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the formal definition of metaverse what was the first like community online that felt different to you it wasn't the same as a normal game and it wasn't the same as just a chat room what was your intro to like online communities like this i love club penguin which i've just recently thought about which is why i made it my background which is like a very like deep cut early 2000s game where you could walk around as a penguin and chat with people but this was i feel like This was like in my MSN days, and I think that this was like the first instance where I was like, where it was super interactive with other people that I played as an online game. This also, like I played Neopets a lot too, but like the interaction between people wasn't as prominent. Yeah, so I think Club Penguin might have been it for me. 
Cool, cool. And how about you, Jefferson? What was your intro to these kind of communities? I think it was Habo Hope. It was it 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 is still alive today. I, I found my 2009 account there. You could like work and talk to people, see the rooms that they created. You you could find super crazy stuff which they built so you could trade uh, mobs and stuff it was pretty pretty crazy at the time i've never played this yeah uh, my intro as well jefferson we bonded about it because if you knew uh, have a hotel you knew have a hotel nobody okay. was like 10 percent in they're like everyone was 200 percent in yeah um, okay. uh, did you ever play webkins i was definitely too old for that like i was too old to play it but i did because <laughs> I had le- younger cousins and younger brothers. Well, no, Neopets? Not with it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Webkins. So you would buy these stuffed animals and the animals would come with a card and the card would have a code in it and then you would put the code into the game and then you would have the animal in the game and uh. in real life. And obviously, as like a dog animal lover, I was like super into this. This was my life. <laughs> and like how much would it cost for those sort of things? Do you remember? Oh my gosh. Okay. Each animal used to be like $15 and I would spend like yeah. all of my money on this. And now exactly, right? they will sell them at, I've seen them at the dollar store, the literal dollar store for a dollar. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so I asked that question because that form of monetization, like facing kids and like mm-hmm. how well it worked for you. It's like, it was so similar for Habo Hotel. I think Jefferson, you mm-hmm. remember like, Owning furniture on Hubbo Hotel gave you the ability to create rooms and create experiences, but the, the furniture was really expensive. Jefferson, did you ever buy furniture on Hubbo Hotel? No, never, never. Yeah, we, you, there's like How four kids on Hubbo Hotel. I think 50 credits back in the day would have been something like $20 or so. And with those 50 credits, you could maybe buy, I don't know, 10 chairs or something. Like it's not enough to build a room. Oh, wow. Okay, wait. And also, to go back to the sandbox and give some context, how much is a piece of land going for? If you get it, it's like, a, so the sandbox does drops of their land where you can buy it at like the normal going price. But to be honest, I've never been able to get in there. So I've never mm-hmm. experienced it. But if you mm-hmm. go on the reseller market, it's crazy. Like it's, yeah. uh, I like think the, the cheapest co- plots I found were like one Ethereum. So about like 4,000 USD was like the cheapest oh, okay. one I saw recently. Okay. Yeah. Still but crazy, not like but five hundred thousand. It depends on how big. I guess if you bought mm-hmm. like an entire acre worth, it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, so what about these metaverses then caused you to want to buy, buy things in it? Because I remember in Habo Hotel, I wanted to. I wanted to be like the richest person there. I, I did all sorts of things. What differentiates these platforms like Habo Hotel or Club Penguin from? a normal MSN messenger or a normal forum board. What did you get out of it that was different? It's the gamification, isn't it? Like these chat functions don't have gamification in it. Like MSN didn't have that other than a little ping or whatever it was. (laughs) But it's like gamification. Like with Club Penguin, there were multiple different games that you would play within it. And then you'd have to get like coins or something. And there was an Mm -hmm. objective of the game of some sort and you buy stuff with the money. And it was a whole thing. So like to keep going back because you've got money there, you've got all your friends there. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. Cool. How about you, Jefferson? What what was the appeal? Maybe I, I think the experience of it, like 
I was I I enjoyed exploring the rooms and all the experience that other people created. People that actually have cash because I haven't. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so I was like wandering around and exploring, and I got jobs and stuff, and they paid me. Sometimes they didn't, but I was there anyway. Yeah. So what? yeah. Is this like yeah. Sims? Yeah. You- could yep. you pretend that you have a life when you work and yeah these metaverses because the life in the metaverse is better than your real life i wouldn't say i don't know about you jefferson i wouldn't say better but i think it was more role play there were tons of people who would like role play being a family on a hub hotel uh, i joined an <laughs> army and i was like i went from private in the army to like a corporal and it took me months to get there <laughs> it was like yeah <laughs> Yeah, I was like a police officer and I was like wandering around right. dressed like a police officer and pretending to be, it was cool. And like, what amazes me about Habo Hotel and how it proves that the metaverse works is all these people made was a place where you could sign in to these empty rooms and a marketplace for furniture. And the members are the one who created everything else. Habbo Hotel didn't come in and think, oh, we're going to build this place and there's going to be casinos, there's going to be armies, there's going to be like furniture games. They didn't know any of that would happen. It was made by the creativity of the community. I think uh, for me, that's like what separates a metaverse from a regular game or a regular platform. So would you consider like uh, a DS game a metaverse? Could you give an example of what DS game or like a, what kind okay, of DS so game? When I was younger, I used to play Nintendogs religiously. Of course, the only games I'm interested in had animals in them. And Nintendogs, you used to be able to take your dog to your friend's house and then you could walk your dogs together. Do you think that's a metaverse? What do you think, Jefferson? Does it count? You're the developer. Mm. Yeah, maybe like... A more limited version of it but can be i don't know would you create stuff there like in the universe or not really no actually that's not true you had a house and then you would decorate your house oh. but it was pretty limited in like customization though mm -hmm. and your dog would have its own collar or outfit and then you could have a different kind of leash for your dog <laughs> yeah kind for, of for can I'm on Jefferson's side here. I think it's, but it, the there's so many different definitions of mm -hmm. metaverse, but for me, the differentiating factor is, can you create your own experiences? Not just uh, like your own avatar or decoration. Can you okay. affect what's happening in the game or what's happening in the world? Okay. Yeah. But uh, on that, one metaverse that did really well in that sense was Fortnite, which is what our next article is. Uh, shameless plug, I did write this one, but not because I'm trying to toot my own horn, but it fits really well with this with this topic. So this article, in a nutshell, was about how Fortnite went from just being a battle royale shooting game to a metaverse. And the long story short is, it basically became the virtual playground that replaced the basketball court. It replaced the community center where kids were hanging out. And instead, it be this became where people hung out. And it's not just kids, parents, families. I used to play with an entire family, literally. The father, the mother, and the kid all played at the same time, and we played together. So it just showed the ability to bring people together. 
And on Fortnite, you can customize your avatar and you can create your own experiences. You can create your own games, you can create your own maps. But more importantly, they took it a step further in the sense that they created in-game events where everybody around the world would experience at exactly the same time. Millions of people seeing the same concert at the same time or seeing the same uh, new addition to the map at the same time. So creating this sense of it's not just a game, it's a place to experience things was something Fortnite did well in its peak. Unfortunately, now it's died, but it proved how well metaverses work and how well they can be monetized, which is why we saw crossovers with Marvel, with Star Wars, all these big IPs looking to advertise their stuff on Fortnite. Did either of you play Fortnite, Jefferson or Amy, or played a game like it? I've never played uh- Nah, shame on me, never played. Once I installed it, but then I uninstalled it before I opened it. So, yeah. I've bad. never had bad. any interest in Fortnite until Ariana Grande started partnering with Fortnite like a month ago. And now I'm like, oh, wait, I could be Ariana Grande? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's cool. And like that just shows how well their marketing is and how well the metaverse works because everybody was trying to get advertised there. Like you just said, Ariana Grande wanted to get advertised mm-hmm. on there. Seeing things like this, do both of you do both of you buy into the idea that the metaverse is going to be the next form of the internet or do you still just think it's a bit of a buzzword? For myself, I do think it's going to be the next big thing. I think like games as a service, like they always keep evolving and not like just release a new uh, game every two and three years, but they keep evolving again and again. And so I think companies will start to put ads inside so to, so they can monitor. But yeah, I think it, that's the way it's going. I feel like COVID and quarantine has accelerated the adoption of metaverses in the sense that you can't go outside, so I'm going to go into an online universe instead. So yeah, I think adoption has increased exponentially. Do you have firsthand experience of that feeling? Did you turn to online communities during this time and did it work? Did you feel a similar sense of connection that you would in person? I, in over quarantine, I started playing Among Us with my friends, which like, I don't know if you would count as a metaverse, but I never, we've never gamed before, (laughs) like ever at all of any kind. It was nice to just be able to, uh, like have an event every week that we could chat at the same time and do something. Yeah, I think like even I got into it. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Jefferson? Does did was there online experiences that kind of replaced the sense of a connection for you that we couldn't get during this pandemic? Yeah, on the pandemic, nothing changed much because I'm not a kind of a social person, but <laughs> 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 yeah, but yeah, I enjoy like GDA role play because you can kind of you, you pretend to be someone else and you have work and stuff like that but things haven't changed much <laughs> that's Don't so funny you. I was like yeah. when we went to court he was like I'm dying I need my socialization we need to have once a week among us nights we need to do all of these different things online because I can't see people in person <laughs> No, I'm the same as you, Jefferson. For me, it's, oh, now I can play video games all day and nobody judges me. Like, it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So speaking of metaverses, one of the companies that have been 
really talking about it recently and have been making headlines is Facebook, which is uh, what our next article is about. It's on Seeking Alpha, and it's titled Facebook is the King of the Metaverse. Uh, in a nutshell, lots of this article was about stocks and like the stock markets aspect of metaverse and how Facebook is using it, not just like for fun. They're actually doing it as one of their main like value ads, and they're transitioning from just being social media to a metaverse company. One of the quotes from, I think he said it was one of Facebook's investors talks or something from Zuckerberg said that he wants the world to stop seeing us primarily as a social media company to seeing us as a metaverse company, which is a huge thing to say. It means they're planning to pivot completely into the metaverse. And it was basically about the author talking about how this might have affected Facebook stock and what the metaverse means. But I'm interested to see what you thought of this, Jefferson. Yeah, Facebook almost reaching 2 billion users. If they do that transition, they will be like the biggest metaverse around. And they have like this whole community stuff. Like they have communities. You can talk to your friends. You can post everything. You have the marketplace. They got into that virtual reality goggles. So it's kind of the way to go they have the player base they have the users there so it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be like a bad idea to head to the metaverse i see i see so in general you're saying that basically facebook already has all the aspects of what it needs to create a metaverse it has videos it has groups that people can make on their own pages it has the usership so you're thinking that facebook has the ability to do it but do you think it's a good idea? Do you think it'll actually work out? I do think, especially now on the pandemic, we do not know how things will go, if things will get better or not. And since almost everything is starting to get digitalized and all those universes are being created, I think that's the way that uh, Facebook should head. Interesting, interesting. What about uh, you, Amy? Do you think Facebook will stick to its guns and make this pivot? And do you think it'll work out? Yeah, I think it would be a smart move for them. What I think thought was interesting from this article was how it talked about Instagram's piece in this as well, in the sense that if Facebook could really create a metaverse, I imagine that would increase incorporate Instagram too because it's part of their offering but then it, part of this article talked about how they haven't really connected it too far yet because of legal reasons or something or logistics or so I don't know they there was a reason for why they didn't want to connect them yet but I think imagining a metaverse as like Facebook and Instagram combined that would be huge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And part of the puzzle we had mentioned yet, Jefferson briefly mentioned, was Facebook owns Oculus now, which is Mm -hmm. like one of the biggest VR companies in the world. I think they have sold the most VR units so that they could be considered the top VR company. And I think that's the biggest change for the metaverse. Like one of the things that people talk about how it's not just the internet and why it's not just the internet, why it's the evolution of the internet. It's the idea that you're not just looking at the internet on a screen, you actually go into it now. So instead of searching for information on Wikipedia in a metaverse, maybe I would walk into the Wikipedia building and I would find that book on the shelf. Um, Seeing that, in my opinion, like 
the VR aspect is the most interesting part of it. Have both of you or have either of you adopted VR? Have, have Are you playing VR games? Are you interested in getting VR headsets or are you not there yet? I used to do, I, I, and, oof, I think it must have been probably 2015. I went to a few VR conferences in Vancouver that were super interesting that had a bunch of different games and different use cases of VR, which were really interesting. One of the things that I thought was really cool was that someone was building a fear simulator so that they would be able to overcome their fear of heights. That was a fun. Yeah, lots of different aspects of VR that are really cool and could potentially become like metaverse-like. Although I can't imagine myself right now like putting on a headset to walk around in a marketplace metaverse. I don't know. It seems too far-fetched for the technology of the moment. I want to come back to that, but Jefferson, what about you? Do you adopt VR right now? Are you using it? Mm, not yet. I'm updating my rig to buy an Oculus. So, yeah, but I do want like to get into horror games and stuff like that in VR. It might be super cool. Yeah. On that note, though, you actually don't need an expensive rig. That's one. Of, that was one of the biggest boundaries for people. You'd have to buy mm-hmm. a $2,000 computer than a $1,000 headset. Facebook prices the Oculus cheap enough that it's cheaper than the PlayStation 5. You don't need, you don't even need a PC anymore. But if you want the best VR, you do need a PC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Oculus actually is not even that bad. Like, it's quite good. But I have tried on some VR sets that have made me, like, ill. So I think, but this, to be fair, though, this was probably like six years ago. So I imagine that the technology has improved quite a bit for the lower end VR sets. But some of the like cheaper end VR sets, I feel, are a little dizzying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to test like those new games like Half Life Alex and stuff. And yeah, the rig will, mm-hmm. I will need to upgrade it. Yeah. Then you need it for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, one interesting thing about VR sickness I, out of everybody I know in my life, I get the most motion sick. So I was like, oh, is this going to work for me? And in the beginning, it, it was really bad. I had to take the same pills I would take on airplanes to use it. But after a while, like I learned how you're not supposed to do that. You're actually just supposed to jump in head first and get your mind used to it. And just eventually, you just, yeah, seriously, like there are tutorials on the Internet about how if it's really bad, you play for 30 seconds, then you stop. Then you wow. keep doing that. And then eventually your mind disassociates what you're seeing on screen versus what's happening in real life and you don't get sick anymore. It just takes Did some time. Did it work time. for you? Oh yeah, I can go flying now and I'm fine. Okay. No? Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Good to know. And Amy, you talked about how you're not sure how this will work for a marketplace, but I think one of the biggest use cases is a marketplace because now instead of trying clothes on online, you could do that in VR. Yeah. It's shopping for furniture, you could do that in VR. Do you see that stuff as panning out in the future? I have seen that more in an application of AR, though. Are you Mm -hmm. familiar with, I believe it's called Rent the Runway? No. They are a fashion company, and one of their, I believe one of their storefronts in New York has this mirror that is, you try on the clothes in the mirror, and you don't have to, like, actually change, which is quite interesting. It's really cool. Really cool. One important aspect of this, though, I'm sure everyone's ready player one. It's like the go-to pop culture thing people talk about when they want to have a quick idea of the members. That was like a dystopian idea of what the metaverse could be. 
but that, that metaverse was called the oasis it was run by like the biggest tech company of the world at that time it's looking like the biggest metaverse is going to be facebook's which is called facebook horizon oh, and it, it seems pretty eerily similar so oh, no you either of you see any potential problems happening or do you think that's just fiction and you think there's enough government regulations in place where we'll be okay nah man like this definitely goes back to the whole decentralization movement of everything right like the one big player is gonna come in and make the biggest mm-hmm. metaverse and then there's going to be no more sandbox and there's gonna be no more everything else because face was gonna take over everything yeah <laughs> jefferson do you see a way where we like as a developer could there be safeguards built could we build this in a decentralized way where a main player like facebook wouldn't have complete control if everyone's using the metaverse the same way they use the internet isn't it incredibly dangerous that just one company would own the biggest pie of it i don't think so i i really believe that probably government will step in the way like they regulate those big companies to not take over the world and stuff so yeah i i think it will not happen it will have space to like smaller metaverses but they will not be as they will not have the power that those big companies metaverses will have i think it will be around that i think you're very optimistic i i don't agree that the government has regulated companies well do they do they I kind of avoid using those big tech stuff, but I don't have Facebook nor Instagram installed and nor mm. all those stuff. I don't know. I, I prefer to waste my time playing video games instead of on social media. <laughs> yeah. Facebook um, gaming still a thing. You mean like their Twitch kind of platform? Like member Farmville? I think it is. I think they still have games on there for sure. Interesting. I have not played that since the early 2000s as well. Yeah, but they had was- all different kinds of apps, right? Like with games within Facebook. So maybe that's oh, how yeah. they will I, I transition think, to their metaverse. I think they, yeah, I think they dropped that. I, I'm not quite oh, really? sure. Yeah. I used to play poker on Facebook all the time. I played Pet Society. Of course, it's a side. Pets. Okay, okay. It was like Looks Farmville, like but pets. Oh, still here, everyone. It's a nice. little bit harder to find that. <laughs> the UI is a little outdated, but it's still there. Yeah. Yes, yes. To end off here, what's a game or a platform that you'd want to see become a metaverse right away? What's the most interesting or exciting metaverse you'd want to enter? Let's bring back Neopets. Why Neopets? Animals. <laughs> I'm in. Games I'm in animals. for Neopets. The money uh, tree. Neopets, if it was actually on Nintendo Switch, like this, that would this be fake, uh, that would be amazing. What about you, Jefferson? What would you bring back? What metaverse do you want to enter? To bring back, I'm not quite sure. I do have a game that I want to become a metaverse. Which one? Um, absolutely Grand Theft Auto. There are some mm-hmm. rumors that they are the, the next GTA will become a game as a service. It will be like the last GTA. Oh, nice. And yeah, it, they will be keep just updating the game and 
making improvements and stuff, rumors, so you never know. But it will be cool to For sure. Yeah, create your character and do everything you want there and stuff. For sure, for sure. For me, it's a platform called Coke Music. Have either of you heard of this? No. So it is a clone of Haba Hotel that was made by Coca-Cola, basically to promote their products. But to be honest, like Jefferson and Amy, like this, it was much better than Haba Hotel. I, I don't know why. I think it's because the furniture was, was cheaper. So you didn't have to spend endless amounts of money, but it was like the smartest marketing ploy because they had well, thousands of this? people. Sorry? When was this? I would say around a little bit after Habo Hotel, so maybe 2000 and 2005 to 2010-ish, okay. it was popular, I'd say. Okay. And the main difference between Coke Music and Habo Hotel was in order to gain like the money to buy furniture, which was all Coke branded, you had to go into these main lobbies that had a bunch of people and one DJ in the middle of the room. And you would walk up to the DJ and play a, a song that you made in the game. So they had this audio creation platform and everybody in the room would either thumbs up or thumbs down your song. And the more thumbs up you got, the more money you would make. And then the next person <laughs> would go up. So it was like uh, you were running your own concert. You're like a mini were DJ. Were you good plus, at it? Uh, I was good. I, was, <laughs> I don't know if my music was good, but I learned how to hack the platform so I could duplicate furniture. Uh, <laughs> so okay, I cheated, cheated a little bit. All right. Thanks for joining us today, everybody, on this episode, this week on Planet Internet, talking about the metaverses. Once again, if you're interested in metaverses, please log on to Hack Noon, submit your gaming metaverse story, and try to win some money. I was your host today, Lee Mark, joined by Amy Tom and Jefferson Borba. And this episode was edited by somebody's name I forget, so we're just going to cut out that line. Let me record it again. This episode was edited by Alex. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. And also, yes. Also, I would be remiss if I did not mention that you can use the power of technology to aid in Afghanistan support. So you can Google it to educate yourself more about the issues that Afghanistan people are facing, as well as donate to the relief efforts to help support those people to get out of the country. So we will put a link to a a charity of some sort in the description of this episode if you would like to donate. Awesome. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Afternoon podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review.
Hello and welcome to a new episode of Level Up, the esports and gaming show with me, Nathan Bliss, esports and gaming writer and Reach PLC. Uh, joining me today is Matthew Aldous. Um, I was going to say, as ever, you've been featuring a lot of podcast episodes recently. I don't want to call you a co-host yet, but you're, uh, you're certainly Cheeky. getting to that level, aren't you? <laughs> From producers to co-host, what a transformation. What a, it's like it's like uh, that the ugly duckling story, isn't it? It's done nothing for my looks, though. It's done nothing for my looks. If anything, it's made it worse because everyone can see me now. Well, yeah, that's the other point. So if you're watching, you can watch this episode on our new Level Up Esports and Gaming YouTube channel. Uh, and for people listening to the podcast, you obviously still listen to the podcast on all our different platforms. Uh, but if you like the episode videoed on our channel, please subscribe, drop us a like, drop us a comment. Really appreciate that. And as ever, if you enjoyed the podcast episode or you enjoy what we speak about, please leave us a write and a review. We really do appreciate it. And thank you for all your continued support over the last few years. Um, it's been it's been great. And uh, yeah, should we get on with the show? Yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Why are you being so laid back about it? You you were really energised before the call and now you're just sitting back and just... What do you mean? Taking it all in. I think you're getting too comfortable. You're getting just too complacent. comfortable in, in the yeah. hot seat. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Just too complacent. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on from that. Let's talk about Call of Duty Vanguard. So Call of Duty Vanguard is going to be the next instalment in the super, super popular Call of Duty franchise. And uh, Matt, I mean... Just before we go into some of the specifics, we've got things like release date confirmed. We've got a number of new features. We've got a number of new game modes. Uh, we've got info on Warzone, zombies, loads of different stuff. But just to get your instant reaction, are you looking forward to the game? I think so, yeah. I mean, it looks amazing. Uh, it looks like yeah. very cinematic from what I've seen and what I've heard uh, about the game. It it just it looks like a a step in the in the right direction uh well a leap in the right direction maybe um it's one of those things where it's like you you sort of you're tentatively excited about it because you 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 kind of you don't want to be let down by something but also it does look promising and it does look really good and uh and we we just gotta wait to be able to play it um before before we can get really properly like hyped about it mm. but it, because i don't know sometimes sometimes they can just be something doesn't live up to the hype but from what i've seen it looks like it's going to so yeah, that's yeah, yeah. quite exciting and but I, I try and rein in my rein in that excitement as much as i can because i don't want to be let down you you sound like every fifa player since fifa 18 uh, 2k every, every mate isn't it it's well yeah we can talk it's about the same same journey I mean, Every year with FIFA, uh, you know, the the new features, the trailers that come out, the information, it's all so promising. And then, you know, the first few months of the game is always really impressive. And then the updates start coming in and it just starts getting a little bit, a little bit past what, what was promised. Um, for FIFA 22, we've already covered that, I think, in previous episodes. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be the biggest jump in, in terms of the franchise with the next gen technology and the... Uh, the hyper motion technology that's coming in. So uh, let's let's look out for that. But today we're talking about Call of Duty Vanguard. Call of Duty Vanguard is scheduled for release on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One and PC via Battle.net starting November the 5th, 2021. 
Call of Duty Vanguard takes players into the origins of special forces in the most connected Call of, Call of Duty experience across the franchise. Experience World War II through the eyes of a multinational group of soldiers who form Task Force One in the campaign's gripping narrative while also becoming the original special forces operators in the game's adrenaline-fueled multiplayer. Vanguard also pushes the action forward in a franchise-first zombies crossover. There's also going to be a brand new map coming later this year in Warzone, which we can touch on later, which is a free-to-play experience, which will be fully integrated with Vanguard. What are your initial thoughts on that? Well, new map. for I mean, I've only just got used, used to the old one. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm not. It's still the the old map is still new to me, but but yeah, the, the idea that that so much is is changing um, and it's being integrated because I mean I I guess they could easily release it as a standalone game away from things like Warzone, but the the fact yeah. that they're integrating it in as to not leave out those players I think is a great move and I think it's it makes the whole thing so much more exciting because there are going to be a lot of people that won't buy the game uh and and but they want to they want to play warzone still and they want to feel you know those improvements and and those things yeah. that have, have changed and they're going to get to and that is like i think really a, a big deal for for warzone you know fans and players yeah i mean you said about the new map i mean it was new map uh it was very very similar to the the old one um i think the major difference was the the dam had gone um and some of the buildings and some of the textures looked a bit older and it was faded a bit but i mean most of my friends were just like this is the same map pretty much so there was a lot of disappointment around that but i think Hopefully with the new map that's going to come with Vanguard, I think there'll be a lot of changes by the looks of things. There's a lot of different features um, that are promised, which we'll go into. But yeah, I'm really excited to, to play it, to be honest. I think it'll be be really cool experience to and have a new map like on Warzone. 20 new or 20 multiplayer maps that they're absolutely that they're putting out absolutely mad so from day one the multiplayer offering will be 20 multiplayer maps at launch including 16 core multiplayer um you'll also experience signature call of duty combat but there'll be new ways to play with combat pacing and reactive gameplay environments this includes tactical down the barrel gunplay the return of gunsmith new custom ballistics and reactive environments what do you make of that reactive environments because we, we've seen a bit, haven't we, with in regards to the reactive environments. The environments can be different, can't they? Different stages of the yeah, game and that, different games you go into. It looks so cool. Yeah, it does. It does look good, and I I like the 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 concept and the premise of it. Um, hmm. So, like the reactive environments are basically you can you can shoot away parts of the scenery. Uh, you can make like you know if you run in just say you run into a wood cabin and you need to make a hole in the wall to see out of it um you can shoot a hole in the wall and and use it to peek out of um it's gonna it i think it's gonna bring a whole new level of competition as well because people can i know people can shoot you through like tents and stuff like and and fences with certain guns and whatnot but this is like you know, if you get spotted through a wall, someone someone can actually tactically make sure that they get you through that 
through that wall or or like you know wood fence or wood cabin or whatever um but the, i think the thing that's interesting and probably one of the things that i'm more excited about is the idea that you can go into the same building several times in a row and because of the reactive gameplay environment you can see a different setup each time you can like people will shoot different parts of the building out and yeah. create their own holes and create their own and it's going to be different every time like you might you you might go into a room one time and there's a big glass wall in the way of something you might go the next time a bit shot out or it's completely removed and same with wood same with paneling bookcases like all sorts of things like that and i think it just is going to keep everything feeling fresher for longer i think and that's quite that's that's quite i i I like it i like the technology that they're implementing there and i think it's a a good idea to move the franchise forward i think it'll be more difficult and i think players will voice their opinions on that i think it'll be more difficult with the reactive environments i mean difficult to more difficult to get cover and things but like you said i think the the skill gap element in that is it'll be really good for but that's how yeah that's how you create skill gap like properly yeah without 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 any nonsense without any like you know unrealistic nonsense like you you can't in real life let's say you're in a gunfight and i've never been in a gunfight you might be surprised (laughs) to yeah i'm probably the last to the punch on this i've never been in a gunfight guys um but but if you jump if you hide behind a barrel in a gunfight or uh, or a fence it's not going to work like the only cover you've got is is they can't see you. So now you have yeah, to be yeah. super careful with not being seen and and like I think I don't I don't see a downside. I think there will be a lot of people that maybe don't like it, but I don't see a downside cuz all it does is creates a real skill gap. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't it, like it brings, create a false one. No, it like, brings like we were talking of, about um, with Oh, no, wait, that's different. I'll cut that bit out because that's, that's a different episode that hasn't gone out yet. <laughs> but but like we will be talking about cheating later down the line. You've sport the multiverse there. <laughs> um, <laughs> Branched yeah, in the multiverse. But I think I think it, it, it basically it's it's a problem solving thing. If you go into an environment and it's different to what you expect or it's different to what you've experienced before, you will have to solve that problem. You'll have to think on your feet and think, oh, that bit of wood there that I camped behind before to get away from this enemy, I can't do that now because the wall's not there or it's shot down. So you need to figure out in real time a solution to that problem and that will create a skill gap and that will help the the more experienced and the, the more professional players get better. Uh, but also it will help amateur players uh, like yourself, Matt, get better because... The more times you're in that position, the better you'll become at figuring out different things. Like the harder it is, the the bigger the the jump to improve. Surely, yeah, definitely. I I think as well. There's like probably different mindsets and mind types. Like I, I I'm a very logical thinker, so it's i i won't be i like when when you remove that oh i can't shoot through that because the game doesn't allow it when you start to remove that and you go oh i can't shoot through that because it's made out of brick and i've only got a pistol yeah that's a real choice 
It's not like an, a game-based choice. It's a real choice that you're making. And I think that's what's exciting is there could be a dude on the other side of that, in of the other side of that, um, like I say, in like wood cabin or, or shed yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And you can shoot through it. If you know where he is, you can shoot through it. You can do the old, do the old action movie cliche of shooting through, <laughs> shooting through the wall <laughs> or shooting, th- you know. Um, but like, that, that's that's only got to be good because it is based within reality. It's not mm. something they've made up that people can go. People can't really complain. Yeah, do you what, know what I mean? What, like, what I think is, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I think is interesting is in previous Call of Duty games, some some wooden structures like doors, for example, can be shot through. Or there is that little wooden box in the gulag that you could shoot people through, which I'm sure you have experienced. Um, yeah. But then there were some wooden structures that you couldn't. So there's that kind of imbalance, like what can you what can you shoot through? And you have to kind of learn that. I think with this, it'll be interesting to see how much of the environment is actually reactive because I think that's where the the in like when you actually play in the game that's where the doubt comes in oh can i shoot them and by the time you figured out in your head oh yeah this is an environment i can shoot through they've already shot you so i think if the if the reactive environment is across everything or across most of the environment i think that'll just help because people will know everyone will get to grips with it very quickly and it's not like you know you can you can hide behind a certain fence and you think yeah they're not going to get me through here in Warzone as it is now, but then they're going to have to think very differently in Vanguard because that fence might be part of reactive environment, and they're going to have to figure out yeah. figure out I, something else. And I kind of hope, I kind of hope, like you know, it's not just like an indoor thing, or it's not just yeah. Uh, it, I I hope it expands to outside fences, wall, mm. like different walls, different um, you know, generators and whatnot. Um, the idea that you can do they have generators in World War Two? Uh, well, I, I I don't know. I don't, but I don't know exactly. I don't know enough about um, how it's integrating into Warzone, if I'm honest. Because Warzone, in, there might be, you know, is it all World War Two based maps in like in I think Warzone? It would be, yeah. gonna, I think you. I think you. I think they change it. Be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I think so. Well, that you know. They had aeroplanes although, and stuff. Although petrol yeah, generators, although, surely they they must have done. I mean, this is a yeah. gaming podcast, and we're talking about whether or not <laughs> generators. What generators? Can you, are can you if you know that if 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 did generators exist in World War Two? Can you let us know in the comments, please? And uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, let's move on to the uh, the the single player campaign. Um, have you been a single single player campaign player? Um, over the last few years is that something you into or do you know i tried call of duty world war Two when it came oh yeah when it when it came not when it came out like when it had been out for a little while um mm. and i thought it was really like decent but i only ever mm. played like the opening scene and then i found mm. it got a bit repetitive and mm. a bit Maybe I I wouldn't say boring like it I I don't want to say it was boring because it, it it wasn't but there was a lot of si- similar stuff that kept happening and it didn't really mm. help progress or tell the story so I didn't really get yeah the opening scene it was like that the opening scene in that was like the opening scene from 
Saving Private Ryan. It was crazy. Yeah. So, but, so I mean, you've seen loads of times before. Yeah, and it and it felt intense. And then as soon as you get past that initial stage, I felt like the intensity just dropped off a cliff. Yeah. That's what I felt yeah. like when I was playing it. And mm. it was sort of like it came in hard and then and then stopped being like that level of of intensity so that that was a struggle so i i didn't ever play much more than the first um like you know 30 minutes of the game probably Mm. um it's interesting they've gone back to world war ii um with vanguard so it's a very different campaign so it focuses on something called task force one which changed the face of history and set the stage for special forces as we know it so there'll be four major theatres of World War II. Um, so experience pivotal World War II battles through the untold stories of multinational heroes. Uh, it drops players into an epic scale of global warfare, where they'll experience combat through the eyes of the original special special forces operators across more fat major theatres, four major theatres. Uh, they describe it as a deeply engaging single-player narrative from diverse backgrounds who rise together in combat to combat to turn the tides of war. The uh, Vanguard uses the next generation Call of Duty engine introduced with Call of Duty Modern Warfare to have a brave, breathtaking visual fidelity, a photorealistic world, lifelike characters, and optimized performance that enhances the gameplay for an advanced Call of Duty experience. So they've gone back to World War II, but it's going to be a very different campaign. Instead of focusing yeah. on, you know, the battle itself, um, you know, the overarching battle, they're going into four very particular pillars of world war ii and with the the birth of special force and they're looking at how those four individuals in particular from multinational diverse backgrounds have impacted world war ii and the result of it which i think is a really interesting way of doing it yeah it like it i think it's got so much potential to be so much more immersive than it's ever been yeah. before i really liked the stuff um around how they recorded the sound and how they focused in on single string instruments and got really close up recording i mean being an audio guy uh they how they got really close up recordings of of like just one cellist it within an orchestra but they they wanted to pick out these particular like one one person playing the cello one person playing the violin because they wanted it to feel individual and close and um because the whole whole campaign is based around characters rather than uh, maybe maybe not rather than story but it's it's more centralized around those characters and you experiencing that um what that character went through and it in that sense it looks so good like cinematically and some of the some of the like game like gameplay and whatnot it just it it's it just looks like a movie almost which yeah, is quite it impressive it does absolutely and the the next gen consoles and the you know the advancements of graphics with pcs and things i think that's really played a part this looks absolutely gorgeous this this game it looks unbelievable from what what i've seen already and uh an important thing to note is that the franchise, the the four people that are going to be in the actual individual single player campaign, they're not they're based off real people, 
which is really important because they're telling true stories of what actually happened. They're not going to be the people. They're going to have different names, slightly different backgrounds or whatever, just to differentiate them. But I think that's a really cool thing that they've kind of honored, honored these people and the achievements that they, that they did through this game. I think that's a really nice touch and it'd be really interesting to see if you go through that journey with them as well, like the emotional journey through the campaign. I think that'll be really interesting. I think that'll be, a, it sounds really good from what I'm, what I'm reading. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that's based around characters, even even from from like watching films uh, and whatnot, when you focus on characters, I, I feel like you always end up more invested. Yeah, you always end up way far more invested when you when you hone in on characters and and their human journeys and um and how ordinary people can do like, amazing things and these incredible feats of like bravery and you can sort of get to experience it in a much more immersive and interactive way than you could like by watching a film or 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 listening to someone tell a story or reading a book i mean those are all really immersive things but this is just you're actually experiencing it as this character and as this person and you know, hopefully if the intensity stays there and, and the, mm. you know, one of the things, uh, especially when you go back to something like World War Two, you have to bear in mind the fact that it must have been so scary for a lot of these people. So there has to be fear there. And how do you convey that genuine fear and build that suspense and build those uh, moments of, of like fear for your life? And it looks like they have really managed to get close to it. That, like, in in terms mm-hmm. of what the what the play looks like and and how it all feels um, from from what what I've seen of it, um, and the fact that they've tried to make the whole style of gameplay a lot more realistic and a lot more individual, I think it has potential to be probably one of the one of the best um single player like campaign games ever made to date it that, that's how good it looks yeah absolutely whether where i mean that and that's a mass that is a massive claim probably i mean I, you know little of me i don't really know i couldn't tell you between between games that have been released in the past and 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 this one but but it looks it's so good I don't want to just say good like it, it looks like in every aspect it looks and feels so real that that's why I think it's potentially got it will knock everything else out out of the yeah blow blow everything else out of the water potentially. you mentioned you mentioned films and immersion. And I think that's a really interesting comparison because it's always been the case that video games have the potential to be such immersive environments because you're not just watching it, you're part of it. You're you're part of the action. How how much yeah. more immersive can it be? And with the next generation consoles, the PC graphics are increasing all the time. The better the graphics are, the, immersi- the more immersive it will be. This, this has the potential to be the most immersive Call of Duty experience yet. By, by the sounds of it and i think that's only going to be a good thing if you've got a, a decent setup 
and you've got a decent console and you've got yeah. a decent PC, this could be a, a, just an amazing experience and you, you'll feel fully in the action, which is something that I'm really looking forward to as well. Let's hey. go through the unparalleled... Sorry, Matt. Do you, sorry, no, I was, I was just going to say it's, it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see the, yeah. the sort of general public's reaction to, to the Absolutely. game. Yeah, yeah. And our reaction as well when we play it for the first time, we'll we'll let you know what we think definitely and we'd love to know what you think as well when you when you play it and i'm sure we'll go into that uh, in a future video but or episode of the podcast let's go into the multiplayer offering a bit more so as we said massive day one multiplayer offering with 20 multiplayer maps at launch including 16 core there's going to be experience uh signature call of duty combat uh, tactical down the girl gamp down the barrel gunplay, the return of gunsmith, new custom ballistics and react environments. There's also a brand new mode called Champion Hill, yeah. which features a series of tournament style head to head matches where players can play solo 1v1 or squad up in duos and trios to battle it out in an arena consisting of four maps to be the last squad standing. I think that's just, you know, if you've got Warzone as a mode that's going to be a real big pull but if you've got something like champion hill in a multiplayer mode that's that's going to be such a big pull because the more modes you've got the more fun it's going to be the, the more options there is for players you're going to get a lot more of the player base coming to different modes yeah i mean you you might find that nobody really takes to it but you also you also so like you know for example with warzone i, I haven't played any other mode other than battle royale but the fact that there's, if there was only one mode loading into it, I'd kind of feel disappointed, even though I've not played them. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, maybe. so so it's like like just adding to that arsenal. And Champion Hill does sound like it could be a lot of fun because it's more fast paced and it's a more of a yeah more of like a kind of almost I guess like not deathmatch, but. But it's it's more in that wheelhouse than it is in Battle Royale. Like you can, you can with, with like going through stages and mm-hmm. and isn't there something about the stages that you go through, um, you go through like stages and there's no load time between them or something. I swear that they mentioned something like that. They all happen within the game. They all ha- like so it's like four different stages and they all happen next to each other like within the same game. So there's no, that sounds you, you're, cool. you're not yeah. waiting for the next, like you don't load out and then load back in. You, you like continue onto a new yeah, map. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. sure. I, I Don't quote me on it, but I, I remember seeing something. It sounds something familiar, but I will, I will have to like check that. that after. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure someone said something about, so there's zero load time, which would, yeah. which makes the experience more like fluid and more immersive and. Um, so I think with this new, with more time playing the game, isn't it? With less loading time, you got more. more yeah, time and I mean, it's one of the most annoying things about Warzone is when you when you die and then you have to load out and load back in. It yeah, like, yeah. takes a while, man. <laughs> so it'd be, it'd yeah, be it's, really especially good. Especially if a team when... is no good, they can't buy you back in time. I mean, that's yeah. That's I mean, I, the feel that's not a dig at me. I hope. <laughs> no, 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 no. Carry on, <laughs> but. <laughs> But um, but yeah, I do I I do think that this new mode sounds like it it's and and you know looks like it's going to be interesting and a lot of fun. And yeah. I think the idea that you can play like solo one v one as well is quite entertaining. 
I like that idea. Like, you know, if yeah. we if we wanted to, we could decide to play against each other. Like, you know, in a one v one champion hill match and yeah, be a bit more cool. competitive, yeah, which yeah. is which is kind of like it feels like a a perspective we've not had yet. Mm. I don't know. Maybe we have, but I'm new to the I'm new here, so um, I, I'm not going to be able to use that excuse forever. So I'm using it while I can. Yeah, <laughs> use it now. Yeah, bank it. But. But it sounds like it could be a really, really like just adding another string to that bow of uh, yeah. functionality within within the game that I think is yeah. going to be really fun to experiment with. Yeah. Let's move on to Warzone then, because you mentioned that that's something that you've been playing and I've been playing it with you as well um, mm-hmm. over the last few weeks. So Raven Studios are leading the development of a brand new Call of Duty Warzone map coming this year. So they don't specify whether it's going to be available from launch. The new Warzone integration will feature a multifaceted new anti-cheat system across Warzone, which is an, a huge piece of news and something deal. that we've covered in, with something that we will cover we'll in a be future covering. episode. So get subscribed. Yeah. Get subscribed to, to listen to that episode and watch that episode because that, that will be coming soon. It also shares the same tech as Vanguard for seamless weapon and operator integration. Vanguard, together with Warzone, will offer a massive calendar of free post-launch content featuring new maps, modes, playlists, limited time events, and seasonal events, as well as community celebrations and more. I mean, I love an event on Warzone. You know, if there's something cool happening in the game, you know, if there's different things going on, there's different messages coming through, or there's like asteroids coming, or they're not asteroids, they were the satellites when they not asteroids ignore me but like when you get stuff happening in the game as you're playing it i just think that's so cool and that just comes off like Fortnite, like with ariana grande and her constant stuff the fact that you can be playing a game that you've got the experience of the normal call of duty game but you've also got an event going on it just feels like it's just so cool the more of that the better in my opinion yeah, I mean, I've not really got too much experience with that, so I don't, I don't know how much. When you uh, do, when it, when you experience Vanguard, we'll go on and I'll show you what an event is because it's a, it's a really cool thing to be involved with. Really cool thing to be involved with because if it, it, it genuinely feels like you're in an action movie, really, but, but I, you've see, got, you're playing I, like, with your friends. I've got no, no real point of reference, so I don't really. Yeah, you know. So imagine playing college. Imagine playing Fortnite. You're playing Fortnite. Yeah. And you go to a certain part of the map and Ariana Grande is there performing a concert. Right. And that's Imagine like, like that. Yeah, but that, so that, how doesn't, would you... that doesn't really interest me that much. I don't need Ariana Grande performing a concert okay. in a first-person shooter game. Not really looking for that oh, sort yeah. of content. But, but okay, then that's but... me. That's, my pers- that's what I'm personally like. I don't, you know... I. I'll be honest with you. I could go to the shops and she could be at the shops and I wouldn't care. Like I, I'd be like, I just need to get my chicken. I do. I can't. I, 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 that sort of thing just has never, never really piqued my interest. I, I, I do find, um, I, I, I guess, I guess what it does though, it opens up that style of play into constant collaborations and, and, yeah. things to make the game like i was talking about earlier like with, with making the game feel fresh for longer fresher for longer it's yeah, gonna yeah, feel yeah. fresher for longer if you can keep adding new things in and and yeah. have these events that seem to 
blend in from the real world. I mean, it, I, I don't know how they're gonna gonna do it if it's in World War, if it's set in World War Two. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it will be something that I like, but I, I, I mm. don't really understand the concept of it right now <laughs> I'll, 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 we should probably gone through it beforehand really i might show you a youtube video in a set but basically what it does is when you know there's an event going on you're all speaking about it so you've got a particular time the event's happening see so all your friends group are speaking about it oh let's go on for the event and then you go on and you're playing warzone as you would normally but different things are happening around you in the environment that they wouldn't be normally see so some some you get random satellites crashing like near you, things are happening. You know something's not quite right. You get like so you could have like an lap- apocalypse event, and and it's like you know absolutely thi- like around things you, are falling out the sky, you. or there's a tidal yeah, wave, yeah, yeah. or it's like deep impact. Like that's see yeah. that's kind of that's cool. Like I do I do like that, but a, a concert I could probably live without. <laughs> That's all. I, I doubt they would do a concert in Warzone, but you never know. Uh, Who, knows? To... <laughs> Who knows? Can you imagine? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but I, I was just trying to explain the concept of like an in-game event is you, every player that you are playing with in that, in that, in that session is experiencing the same thing as you in that moment. Yeah, and it doesn't happen again. Do you know it's what like I mean? a very yeah, it's exactly. a very singular event, and and you will get to experience it together, and then and then it will never happen again in that way. In the same in Correct. the same way, a concert would work. Or, yeah, if you miss like, it, yeah. if you're doing something you on that particular it, night, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. That, and no, I get, the, I get that. That's that's cool. I I just think it's. I I was just expecting, like you know, oh, they've opened the shop and you can go and look at these. They've reopened Woolworths in in Warzone. Like, in that's not. That's not. Uh, that's not something that really interests me. But you know, if they were doing like a special, like I say, like something like an Armageddon event or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can see. Yeah, how that, that's that would what be happened really last cool. time. That's what happened last time. So there was an event and um, there was a nuclear warhead that struck the map as you were playing it. How so Everyone would map, die. Yeah, so the old map went and then you were launched into the new map straight away oh. after the event. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, you, that's cool. So you started looking around and think, oh, where's Dam gone? He's gone. Do you know what I mean? It's replaced. And you don't know where you so, are. And, and then stuff, different yeah. things happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You figure out new bits and bobs of the map. That's so, cool. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I mean, I'll have to get you, get you on when the, when the next event is, um, and get you experience in that. Cause I think it's a really special thing in video games. And the, the more of that, the better, I think, cause yeah. just the immersion we were talking about before, it's like being part of, it's being part of a movie almost being part of a cinematic experience yeah, you can, yeah 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 get, it's happening all around you in in a virtual world so i feel uh, like there's something we've, well. we've skipped oh, over though like without without properly talking about it and that's the that is the cheating thing the the they finally mm. addressed this hacking and cheating which is like yeah it's just like i mean i definitely know that a couple of your friends are going to be mad happy about that but absolutely I mean, and I've only been playing it a little while, and I'm mad happy about it. Like, you start so, to you, you've. When was it you first started noticing like the cheating going on? Like, uh, like probably pretty quickly. Um, like I, you, obviously, I know it's happening because it's all over YouTube and people, you know, spectating yeah. cheaters and whatnot. But 
in terms of me noticing in game, not until I got to a stage where I could comfortably get one kill in a game. Like if I ran into someone, it's not a certainty that I'm going to die. Like when I got to that point in my skill level, then that's when you can you start to notice. But you recognise when someone kills you fairly, and when you think, "Oh, hang on, there's something a bit wrong with that." The way they, yeah. the way they got me there, it was a bit. You start yeah. to recognise, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like so, but you have to have some basic skill level, I feel, before you can really properly recognise it, and and then like you know, at a point now where I'll have, I'll go, I'll go maybe two, three games without killing anyone, and then I'll go a couple games like back to back getting three kills a time. So, so like my average is, is going up. So I'm at a point where I'm improving all the time. Yeah. And now I can notice it. It's so much more obvious um, because I have some point of reference. So yeah. the fact that there, but I always knew it was a problem, you know, it's a problem, but I just like, I didn't really. I, I can't yeah. complain about it because I'm so bad at the game. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I could run into added, a lamppost and I'd die. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just an it's, added added thing for our viewers. Um, you you when you put the hand when you start waving your hands in front of the camera, it starts to auto focus on your nails. Yeah, I know. Um, it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> it's horrible. It's because I'm that. it's because I'm facing the wrong way, and my nails are the worst nails that anybody little treat for has all ever our viewers. had it's it's like if you're listening is, to the podcast you are the, one of the lucky ones <laughs> this is what this is one of the things i'm gonna try i'm gonna try and keep my hands like this it's one of the things that shames me the most about being a third in my mid-30s uh, is is my nails i don't but you know <laughs> that's what that's my hands guys i can't help it i'll try and keep them down by myself yeah though. Well, let's move on from your hands. We talked about we talked about the. I would like more details with the anti cheat. I would like more details. Um, how is it multifaceted? What's this new anti cheat system? What does it consist of? How how effective is it? How how will it work? Not too much that hackers go, start to know too much and start to work their way around it, but enough to know that I feel like I've, I'm on an even playing field when I'm playing. Warzone, and if there is one cheater, they'll get banned soon. Do you know what I mean? I think that's half the frustration when you're actually playing Warzone and you come across a cheating player and they kill you and you get that frustration or whatever. There's there's mm. not a part of me that goes, oh, they'll be banned soon. That they like they won't. They'll carry on doing it. Do you know what I mean? It's that's in your yeah, head when they're doing no it. And that's half of the frustration. So exactly, no justice. So with this one, I'd like to know how it works a little bit more detail before I actually say anything about it. But it's, it's good that they've come out and talked about there's going to be a new anti-cheat system because that is so important. And I hope that it comes in ASAP because it's uh, it's definitely needed. There's there's a real yeah, issue. They've got a real issue on their hands. It's tricky, isn't it? Because you you don't know. You Yeah, we don't. On, on one hand, you, you want to know more about it. But on the on the other hand, you don't want people to get their hands on it. Like, yeah, so, exactly. You so don't it's tricky. Want to know the details. Like you can't really ever know exactly what's going on until we experience it. Because I guess, like you say, like it's a very good point. People will get a hold of it and work out, oh, this is what it's based off of. So we can run some scenarios and, yeah. and try and try and develop our way around this. Which 
I guess is like just not. It, it's only gonna it's only gonna lead to disappointment if people get their hands on it too quickly. It depends on how foolproof it is. But yeah. it would be nice if it would be nice if they had so much confidence that it it wasn't breakable. That yeah, I mean if if they if they if they think that by giving details it's going to give information to hackers, I'm perfectly fine with no information. You know, just yeah. Just give but us then, a new it, but then sheet. it's like, oh, if it, we've if only I got. If I can see it's working in the game, then that's it. And they what? And they just never tell you how it works. Well, just yeah. This is a new anti cheat system. You'll that's see it. it in Warzone tomorrow. That's it. You play it. There's no. There's no hackers. There's no cheaters. Okay, fair enough. And then you that, and you never that, find then, out how it works. Yeah, like I that. The, I mean, the, the thing is with the trust. With the trust at the moment, I think if that happened now at this point in time and it didn't quite work, the trust would be completely gone because they're like they've just not. Where's the new anti cheat system? Yeah, but on I the flip side of that, because it's been going on for so long, they need to give details. I think that's where the yeah on the, on the flip the side is. of that, if they give details and then people get their hands on it and manage to find ways around it, and then it, it, the game comes out and it doesn't work, then they're in the same yeah. position. So it's kind of like you you lose or you lose. So, but I don't. But I I do I don't know. I hackers have got they ruin the game for everyone and. It's strange that either they've waited so long that, and we, you know, we, we all know, you know, how bad it's got that they've waited so long to try and fix it. And then they're going to do it with the new game release, or it's just not that much of a big deal. But there might be a very valid reason why they're brushing over it, you know, in their, in their statements and they're not like coming out and, and, and saying it like giving too much away but i like you can still talk about it without giving anything away mm. that's the that's the thing that's strange yeah. to me still but but yeah either way i think it's good that they've addressed it and i think it's hopefully gonna lead to a much better experience yep. and and managing to get you know hackers off of yep. the game or at least reduce them heavily Best case scenario, the reason why they haven't addressed it now is because they're working on a huge fix that they know will work rather than releasing li- little patches that they didn't know would work. So they've been re- working on something in the background that they know will work. It will, it will have a huge impact on hackers. And this is it. Yeah. And it's going to be released as part of the new game release. It's a fresh start, fresh game. People can come into it knowing there's not going to be any hackers, knowing there's level playing. That's the best case scenario. But until we actually see the results of what's happening in the game, I'm being a bit open-minded about it. Let's see what happens first. Yeah, let's see what happens. But it, yeah. but I think uh, it's, just, it is big news like that they've addressed yeah, it. Yeah, it is big news. Yeah. Last but not least, we just I'll also go on uh, the new Zombies mode. So the Treyarch Zombies from the birthplace of Zombies. Treyarch helps deliver as a franchise first. Call of Duty's Call of Duty Zombies crossover as Vanguard connects with Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War Zombies. The storyline delivering a new connection for Call of Duty players. Players will be able to survive the relentless onslaught of the undead in a chilling all-new Zombies experience, and it provides continuity from a lore standpoint while innovating on the core gameplay loop. I've, I've flirted with the, the Zombies mode before. That's the sentence I never thought I'd say. I've flirted with Zombies. Um, 
I've flirted with mode before in previous Call of Duties, and it's always been like a fun mode, but it's never been something that I come back to all the time. It's always been something that I just play here or there, but that sounds like a really interesting mode. And again, I'll, I'll have to play it first to see if I enjoy it because I, I enjoy Warzone so much. But again, if I'm not enjoying Warzone, I can go and play um, Champion Hill. I can go and play Zombies. I can go on single player. It's there's a whole there's a whole load of experiences for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I think, and I mean. I'm not a massive like zombie game sort of fan. I thought I was going to really enjoy The Last of Us, and I I I did for for a bit, but I got for me because I'm just not that into zombies. It got got real old real fast. I I really like the suspense element, but yeah, I I I didn't really enjoy it, you know, in the way that other people did, and they lo- like that game's like you know loved um, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really loved. Yeah. And it looks cool, right? Like, and they're making a film out of it, which I probably am going to enjoy more than the game. But so I don't. I, I, I'm similar to you. I I think it might be fun, like once or twice, but I don't think it's gonna be a, like a long-standing thing for me. I don't think that that yeah. will interest me enough to to keep me keep me playing it. I mean, I I kind of. I like fantasy stuff, like you know, but but I, I struggle with fantasy stuff here and there, like with being able to su- suspend my belief. If it's based within a real world, I find it a bit easier. And yeah, it's only in recent years that I've really managed to let go of it on the film front. Watching movies, like I I've always been, if it's not based in reality and it's not apart from probably superheroes because i grew up reading comics and all sorts um, yeah and maybe some big franchises like lord of the rings i've never really been into like that sci-fi space star trek type thing um so i don't know i i don't know I, but i'm gonna try and keep an open mind and and see what it's yeah like. i mean we're i'm don't worry i'm gonna make matt play it uh i'm gonna make <laughs> matt play all the modes uh, I, mate, I, I think no, it no, will be I, good we'll play it together i think it will be good it's just whether or not it holds my personal interest yeah i think for other people for it's gonna be like probably like a an amazing mode that they're gonna really enjoy because they really love like zombies is a massive thing not just yeah. in games in film and like all sorts it's like look at how successful the last of us was was yeah. and is it's it's and that's zombie based, right? Or like the undead or, you know, whatever. So it's it's gonna be either way, I think it's it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be amazing. It's just whether or not personally it is it's something that tickles my taste buds. Well, we'll see. When the when the game comes out, when we play it for the first time, um, we'll let you guys know first when we play it and when we test out the different modes and we'll let you know what we think and what Matt thinks. Cause I think Matt's coming at from a, uh, someone who hasn't played many games over the past couple of years in comparison to me, maybe. So he's coming from more of a fresh standpoint, which I think is really good, a really good point of view to have for people who are new to games. And for someone like me, who's played a lot of the Call of Duty titles and have played a, a lot of games over the last decade or so, um, I'll give that more, more balanced, viewpoint in terms of what i've experienced before and hopefully i'll be able to review that p- p- better than um i don't know than i could i've lost my train of thought i've lost my train of thought better yeah, than I not could. better but just a different perspective 
just a different yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's the point. People have different perspectives on games, so it'll be interesting to see what you think versus what I think, and then we can but we can talk about it on on a podcast and on the show, and we can discuss it, and um, we'll see we'll see what we think of it. But it all looks very promising. Really excited very promising. to to see what see what actually happens when we play the game because a lot of games say they're going to be brilliant and they're not. So let's let's have a look at this. Let's see what it's like. And that is the overarching thing, mind. isn't it? A lot of games do say yeah, they're going to be brilliant yeah. and most of them are not. And in some cases, most they don't ever come out. <laughs> like, it, <it's, laughs> there's, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen. So I, Absolutely. I, I guess it's just, yeah, this is all with tentative excitement. But I think Call of Duty Vanguard is the first FPS game. Am I saying this right? Um, first the first F- shooter, yeah. FPS game that... I'm actually excited about in a sense that like I'm looking forward to playing it because I've okay I've never I, I because I've got involved with Warzone and I've enjoyed it and sort of realized you know experienced a lot of new things with Warzone I have never really been in a position where a new game's coming out and I have any kind of relationship with it like previously so this is probably the first yeah. time that that a new game is coming out that I'm actually genuinely, I recognize it. I understand it. And I've spent the last few weeks trying to get better at it. And now it feels like everything again is going to change, which is only going to benefit me because everyone that's up here that has been sort of a lot better at the game or, or boosting or cheating or whatever, or hacking, whatever, they're all going to be brought down to, the 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 base level of their talent and they'll either be really good or they'll be like me and they we can get rid of all of the hopefully we can get rid of all of the 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 mess in between yeah. and yeah. I'm, that's the less that, hackers the better the less that's hackers the better. That's exciting for yeah. me like it's not Absolutely. a frustration thing from my point hackers because i haven't been playing it for long enough but it is exciting mm. in the sense of mm. ah I can, we can all be on the same, it can all be based on skill, hopefully. Hmm. And that, that's an exciting concept. Absolutely. Call of Duty Vanguard will be available globally on PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S and PC on Friday, November 5th, 2021. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Um, It's been really interesting discussion coming from someone with a fresh point of view, talking about Vanguard and having experienced Warzone a bit. Um, been really interesting to to hear about some of the new features and things and can't wait to play it. Let us know in the comments or if you leave us a review, let us, let us know what you thought of this episode and let us know in the comments if you're excited about the game, if you've got any concerns, what you think about the new anti-cheat system, what you think of the new Champion Hill mode. Let us know what you think. And also let us know what you thought of the the podcast in general as well. Really appreciate any feedback, but really hope you enjoy the game when it comes out and we'll just have to see how it plays. And if you keep subscribed to both our podcast and our YouTube channel, our podcast is Level Up, the esports and gaming show. Our YouTube is Level Up Esports and Gaming. If you subscribe to both, you'll you'll hear first or watch first our viewpoint on the new game when we get to play it. Exactly. So, catch you later. Catch you later.
enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.